Do you feel anxious? Are you often annoyed, frustrated, and worried about things? Or maybe you're just going through some painful stuff right now. God sometimes allows us to go through a painful personal trial so that we can be used by Him for corporate revival. Maybe what you're experiencing is much bigger than you think. Take Hannah, for example. God used the pain of Hannah's infertility to poise a nation for revival. Dana Gresh reveals four things Hannah did to cooperate with God as he orchestrated her story. Enjoy this message delivered to her home congregation of Center Church. Okay, we're going to go a really different direction than we went this morning because this afternoon the Lord spoke to my heart a little bit about this passage And it's a message I've delivered a handful of times. In fact, a few of you were at Mops when I spoke about Hannah. But we're going to look at just one aspect of Hannah's life tonight. And I feel like I need to put some disclaimers on the message before we dig into the passage. So what I want to zero in on is Hannah's anxiety. And the reason is because last week um, the Lord put it on Janet's heart because of Melanie, the testimony that... Annabelle brought for Melanie that um, we kind of would just stand up and admit if we had been struggling with anxiety and um, she prayed over us and that was really powerful. Now I was one of the people that stood up. How many of you stood up? So there were a bunch of us, right? Um, And I'm not currently really struggling with anxiety but it has been a battle that I fought. And when I first, I didn't stand up, the Lord was like, no, you're like, this is something that has been a recurring battle for you. And so I want you to stand up. So I stood up and um, it was a beautiful prayer. And this afternoon, as I was praying about how to present this to you, the Lord brought that back to me. And I thought, let's circle around and go back to that because I thought it was a neat movement of God's spirit in our body. And let's talk about anxiety from the perspective of a woman who is totally, completely stressed out of her mind on the pages of scripture. But the two caveats or disclaimers I want to put on it is this. I I want you to know that as I talk about this, I think I'm going to say some strong things to you. I might not. I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit will be like, no, be all sweet. Go sweet mama on them. I don't know. But my sense is that I'm going to say something um, strong. And when I came to prayer with Jonathan, he was, he was praying that the Lord would make me gutsy tonight. So I think that's probable. Um, so what I want to say to j- make that gentle is that it, that those strong words are coming from a woman who's fought through the battle of anxiety. Because that makes it different, right? It makes it different when I speak strength into that for your life, if you know that I've struggled through that myself. So let me tell you about the most recent. I've had maybe three big episodes of big anxiety problems in my adult life. The first one was in my mid-20s. The most recent one was about two years ago. And it was severe enough that... I didn't feel like I could travel to North Carolina by myself to speak at an event that I was booked to speak at. And so I called friend number one, will you drive with me? Friend number two, will you drive with me? Friend number three, will you drive with me? And they're all like, I'm bawling my head off when I'm asking them if they drive with me. And they're saying, no, they can't because of this. Or they didn't feel like that they would be good stewards of this if they. And so I'm like, okay, so what do I decide to do? I take my dog. (laughs) So I'm like, you know, I feel like I can get there. I had to stay in a hotel alone at night. And I was like, there's got to be a dog-friendly hotel somewhere. Residence Inn is the dog-friendly hotel. So if you need to know. um, So I 
I grab my dog. I throw him in the back of a rental car. I drive down. I sleep in a hotel. And I'm like cuddled up to my dog. And then I get I join my team who's already down there in the tour bus and I do the event. The church was great about it. They're like, yeah, you can have your dog in the, as long as he's not in the church, you can have him in the green room. So I have his little crate and he's in the green room and everything. And then I go out to the tour bus after the event. Cause now I get, I join my team, right? Terrified to get in the tour bunk. To me, it doesn't look like a cozy little place to sleep. It looks like a coffin. And I can't, if you have never had a panic attack, you have no idea the fear and terror I felt looking at that bunk. And um, the way I roll is maybe this isn't the way you would have handled it, but I was like, I'm going to sleep in that thing tonight. (laughs) I'm going to sleep in that thing. It was the last thing I do tonight. Through the power of Jesus, I'm going to sleep in that thing. So I grabbed my dog by the neck. And I was like, come on, Moose, you're sleeping in that thing with me. And I slept with the, with the curtain wide open and one leg hanging out and one arm hanging out and my dog wrapped around the other arm and leg. Um, but that lasted for almost about six months that I couldn't travel in my tour bus without my dog, remember? And I just said to my team, I'm sorry my dog's here, but I'm kind of scared without him. So I want you to know that what I'm saying to you is not, when, when I talk about anxiety tonight. I'm not being heartless when I tell you to do hard things. And um, the funny thing is, one of the reasons I stood up when Janet encouraged us to stand up, if we struggled with that, is because when Jonathan and Susie took me to the escape room like a week ago, we're standing outside the escape room and the guy's like, okay, you are going to be locked in this room. There is no way out of this room for the next 60 minutes. And suddenly I felt like I was standing in front of that, that that bed again in my bunk. And I was like, I don't know if I can go in there. And I'm having this internal conversation with myself about, is there an emergency button or something on the other side? And then he said, in case there is an emergency, there is a button on the other side. And I'm like, okay, we're good. But it's like there, like any of you who have lived in victory over an, an, an emotion that you've struggled with probably also know that it's there, right? You may live in victory over depression or anxiety, um, but you know that it's a risk for you, and you have to be wise about it. So the first thing I want you to know is that I've struggled with it. The second thing I want you to know is that we are going to talk about the spiritual aspect of battling anxiety. And I don't think it's the only way we should battle anxiety or depression or negative emotions. There were many times when I had episodes with anxiety that I was seeing a physician taking some sort of a medication And almost every time, well, every time I was seeing a counselor. And I don't understand people that are are like anti-medication because I'm like, well, if your liver didn't work, would you take a medicine for it? If your lungs didn't work, would you take a medicine to make you well? So if your brain's not working, why wouldn't you help it? It doesn't make sense to me. Now, on, on that same token... Sometimes people run to medication and they think that's the only answer and they don't do the spiritual and emotional work they need to do so that they don't have to live on that medicine their whole life. And Ephesians 1 kind of tells us that it's the heresy of our times to divide the secular and the sacred into two categories. And I think when we're struggling with mental um, instability or unwellness and we go just spiritual on it or we go just secular and medical on it, We are falling for the heresy of the times when we can see a physician and get the medical help we need. And also, 
see our pastor and get the spiritual help we need and get throw everything at it. So I want to put those two disclaimers on it because I think that it's important for you to hear those two things before we dive into Hannah's life. And then the last thing that I just want to say before we read this passage of a totally stressed out, anxious woman is that emotions are the skin of your soul. So just like your skin warns you when something's not okay, right? You reach out to touch a hot pot, which somehow I love cooking, but after all these years of cooking, I have not figured out that the stove is hot when it's turned on. And I have not figured out that the oven is hot when it's turned on. I'm constantly like reaching into a hot pot in the oven and grabbing it out. And my husband's like, what'd you burn this time? You know, was it my toe, my finger, my arm, my elbow, whatever. Um, Your skin says that's not safe, right? Don't do that. Emotions are like that. Emotions are the skin of your spirit or your soul. And they say, that wasn't safe. Don't do that again. That relationship wasn't safe. Maybe don't try that again. Or that um, thing that you just did wasn't good for you. So maybe don't do that again. So emotions are good. And God created them. So they're very useful. Even the bad ones are useful for us, right? So even anger, the Bible says, be angry and sin not. So anger is not always sinful and bad. It's that it has to be controlled and anchored by God's spirit. Depression is not bad because sometimes it's appropriate to grieve, right? Sometimes it's appropriate to be sad about something. And even anxiety can sometimes tell us, slow down, your life is a little out of control. Sometimes God has used anxiety to tell me I need to pull back and take better care of myself and my family. It's when those things become chronic and never-ending And when our lives are managed more by those emotions than by us, your emotions are not supposed to be the boss of you. And um, the boss of your emotions are really your thoughts. Science will tell you that and scripture will tell you that. And so my question to you is, who's the boss of your thoughts? Okay, so the Bible says that Jesus is supposed to be the boss of your thoughts. You're supposed to take every thought captive to Christ. So... Sometimes our emotions are the boss of our lives because we aren't taking time to let Jesus be the boss of our thoughts. And we're not saturating ourselves enough in community. We're not saturating ourselves enough in the word. Um, And when we saturate ourselves in God, sometimes he tells us to do things. You know, I have a friend. Her name's Kim Helsel. How many of you know Kim? She's like the happiest person you've ever met, right? Okay. I didn't know her when she lived a very depressed life. And she will tell you that Jesus healed her. She will also tell, her, tell you that Jesus told her to start running every day and that running is her new drug. And that she's very committed to running every day because that's, how, that's part of what Jesus used to heal her. And in the community with Jesus, in the community with listening to his voice, he told her to start taking care of her body differently, and that was a part of her healing. So those are just some caveats I want to put on this. I also want to recommend to you two resources if you're struggling with depression or anxiety or ever, any chronic negative emotion. One is um, a book called Healing the Hardware of Your Soul. See, see I know a lot. I've been down this road. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen, he's a Christian physician, and he will... Um, Uh, He's a specialist in ADD, so that's how we kind of met him, um, because my husband has ADD, Bob has ADD. Anybody surprised by that? Um, And uh, he has a book called Healing the Hardware of the Soul that's really cool, because he speaks about the fact that really the greatest medicine we can give ourselves is the Word of God, and 
that that passage that says whatsoever things are good, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are da da da, you know that verse. That the next verse we don't often say, but it's the next verse says, and the God of peace will be with you. And so he says, God's prescription for the healing of our minds and our thoughts and our emotions is having our thought life be under the control of Christ. And then the other one is Caroline Leaf. And she has a TED Talk that's pretty interesting. But she's, I don't know if she's a Christian, but she has some really great research on how our thoughts impact whether we are anxious or sad or depressed. With that said, let's stand up together. I did not bring my reading glasses, so you get to read the passage out loud with me. Have a stand up. We're going to read it just from up here. 1 Samuel 1, 9 to 28. Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. No razor will ever be used on his head. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love, woo, his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I have asked the Lord for him. Let's stop there. You can have a seat. It's a little steamy, so you know. Let me go ahead and pray that God would... um, Use these four things I want to tell you, observations from this passage, to help you fight anything you're anxious about. Lord Jesus, I just thank you for the word that Janet spoke last week and the fruit that that came from it as I visited with Melanie this morning. And um, I pray tonight that you'd help us to do everything we can to live in the full, um, abundant life that you've promised us and help us to maybe learn something from Hannah about how we should respond to anything that gives us anxiety. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first observation I want to make for you is this. Hannah pours her soul out to the Lord. Hannah pours her soul out to the Lord. Now, um, 
in the Hebrew, it would have been uh, the word, the words that would have been used there for pours out would have been to she spilled and scattered her soul before the Lord. That sounds a little messy, right? It doesn't sound like a nice little neat prayer life that she was having at that moment in the temple. She spilled and scattered her thoughts. And I think sometimes, especially when we feel like we're an emotional wreck, we, f- we feel a little more apt to take false control over our thoughts and our feelings and the way we communicate and express ourselves. And when that is God that we're communicating to, we're even more tempted to communicate piously and not honestly. And we find Hannah pouring her, scattering her thoughts so messily that Eli thinks she's drunk he actually looks at her and accuses. This is not like, if this was one of us today, ladies, there would be mascara down to our chin and snot down to our belly button. I mean, this was an ugly prayer that she was praying. She spills and scatters her thoughts before God. And um, what, what this taught me when I read this, I, I read this and I thought to myself, you know, I want to be honest with God. It sounds to me like she was honest with God. And sometimes I'm not honest with God. Sometimes I come to God with my, my prayer journal and my prayer list and I, my emotions inside feel all ucky and gross and I want to barf. And I might barf on Bob because, you know, he's my safe place and I'm not afraid of that. Like, I don't, any other women like your husband, he gets the best of you and the worst of you. Uh Uh-huh. And so, um, but, but God, barf on God. But the day that I read this, um, this was 2015, I think. And I wrote in my journal in the, or in the margin of my Bible, Lord, make me drunk with prayer. Because to me, that represented honesty. Now here's the thing. God already knows what you're thinking and feeling and all the bad words that you're that are rolling around in your head and aren't just quite rolling off your tongue. So since he already knows them, why are we being dishonest about them? Why don't we just like say them? So I read, I had read a quote the week that I read this, um, that CS Lewis said, we should bring to God what is in us, not what should be. Isn't that good? CS Lewis, he's always so smart. Bring to God what is in you, not what should be. And I realize I am a woman who feels sometimes like I should bring to God what should be in me. Like, I shouldn't be thinking those bad words, and I shouldn't be thinking these really ugly thoughts, but he already knows I am. So um, about that time, April of 2015, there was some anxiety and stress in my life. I wasn't like in an anxious episode, as I had just described to you, but I, you know, I, I'm prone to it. And so I was feeling a lot of anxiety and stress. And right about that time, our ministry had a $5,000 need. And it was kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, you know, like I, I just stayed home from the office that day and blubbered a little bit. And I was just kind of like crying. And then I went to my prayer closet and I was getting all like, Lord Jesus, I believe you can fix this. Lord Jesus, I know that you own a cattle on a thousand hills. I know, and I was like, wait a minute. That's not what I feel and believe right now. And I kind of gave him a lecture about how I didn't need one more thing and didn't he know I didn't need one more thing and that I can't handle this $5,000 problem. And then I have no idea why I did this, but I ran to the front door and I walked out and I slammed it shut as if I had left God inside to think about what I said. (laughs) And I walked out to my llamas and my horses and I'm like all out there like 
crying. You know, it was the ugly cry. I'll tell you what, it was a drunk woman cry. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like doing that cleansed the things out of me. Like it wrung the ugly out of me. And then I was ready to talk to God and say, okay, that wasn't the most mature I've ever been, but it did kind of feel good. And so I'm a little confused. Was it okay for me to talk to you like that, Lord? And if it wasn't, I need you to really correct me. And if it was, I need you to affirm me. Because I do know that something came out of me when I was honest with you just now. And I think that was good. But my Christian piety tells me maybe I shouldn't have. So I walk back in the house and I hear um, a te- my text, like I'm getting a text. It was a text from Eileen who said, I know that you are praying right now, but there's something I feel like you should know. Um, Stephanie Peters, a friend of mine that some of you know, and her husband Eloy felt a really urgent sense this week that God wanted them to make a ministry to the donation, a donation to the ministry. And she called right now and she said, I feel like right now you need to know that. And we're sending you a $5,000 check. And I was like, I think that's affirmation. I think God was okay with my ugly prayer. And so I just want to encourage you that when you're feeling that, and what, what we know that she felt that way, that in, in the Hebrew language, the two things she felt were anxiety and vexation. In the ESV, which I think is one of the more literal translations, it uses those words. The NIV didn't use those words, but let's define those words. Sometimes it's good to have a definition, right, to know what anxiety is. So anxiety is a feeling or wor- of worry, nervousness, or unease about an upcoming event or something with an uncertain outcome. So generally, we feel anxious when, well, I don't know if I'm going to get pregnant. That was Hannah's problem, right? Well, I don't know if I'm going to get the job. Well, I don't know if I'm going to keep the job. Well, I don't know if I want the job. Well, I don't know if I'm going to get married. And then I don't know why this is, but we get married and we're like, well, I don't know if God's going to fix this marriage. And I don't know if this marriage is ever going to be the marriage that I want. And we always have something that we're kind of unsure about the outcome of, right? Always. There's not a time in our lives when we don't have something we're wondering about. Anxiety is when we fester on that and fixate on that and over-obsess about that. And we can't think about anything but that. And we can't enjoy the rest of our life because we're so worried about the outcome of something else. The other thing that we know that she was suffering from is vexation. And I think vexation is what multiplies anxiety. So vexation is feeling annoyed or frustrated or worried, all right? So it's like spazzing out over the little things. So it's it's facing a two problem and having a 10 reaction. So it's like, okay, you need $5,000 and you blow up at God, right? That's vexation. Or it's ladies... It's asking questions like, could my children leave me alone for five stinking minutes, right? Um, And you ask it 10 times all day long. Or does my husband even know where the dishwasher is? He's able to get the dishes into the sink. The dishwasher is 12 inches away. And something like that can can take your anxiety through the roof. So, so, right? On a high anxious day, a, a vexation can be the undoing of you. That's exactly where Hannah was. And you know what? I think sometimes we read these Bible passages and we make them all clean and neat. You know, like the manger scene. Like there was no manure at the manger scene. There was no like stench at the manger scene. There weren't noisy animals at the manger scene. There wasn't mud at the angel scene. It was this pretty little picture with angels singing. Oh, no, it wasn't. 
And I don't want you to do that with Hannah. Hannah was a stressed out of her mind woman. Not only did she not have a baby, but she had a sister wife. I don't, I got to ask God about that when I get to heaven. And that sister wife was popping out babies right and left. And every time that woman had another baby, it was like salt in that deep wound that she hadn't had one. This is a woman who was living in a day and age when her only value in society's eyes was having babies and she couldn't do it. This woman was stressed out of her mind, but she poured herself out to the Lord. I want you to think right now, what is it that you haven't been honest with God about? Like what have you, maybe it's, you don't have the job you want. Maybe it's, you're not getting into the school you want. Maybe it's, you don't have the money you want. Maybe it's worry about a kid. I don't know what it is, but have you been honest with him about it? Like, I guess the question is, have you barfed your soul out to God? And if you haven't, that's your homework this week. The second thing I see here is that Hannah gives that son back to God before she even receives him. So she says to God, I'm pouring my soul out here. I'm spilling and scattering my thoughts to you as honestly as I can with a snotty nose. And it's so bad that Eli, the priest, thinks I'm drunk. But I want to be honest with you, God. And if you'll give me this thing that my heart wants so badly, I will give it back to you. Because ultimately, everything is yours. Now, so here's the thing I want to ask you. That thing that I just said, have you prayed about it? Have you been honest about it? If you are honest with God about it and do not recognize and acknowledge that that's his, your career path is his, your child or lack thereof is his, your spouse or lack thereof is his. If you don't do that, you're, you, it is a, it's just selfish childishness. You see, God does want our honesty, but he also wants us to grow up and recognize the primary reason we're here is him. It. I mean, all this, these famous dead guys read this Bible from cover to cover and they got together at this place called Westminster and they're like, all we can figure out is that the reason we exist is to glorify God and to enjoy him. And there too, if you're not enjoying your life, like we're not supposed to just like serve him piously with all the right words. We're supposed to serve him and love it. We're supposed to serve him and enjoy it. It's one purpose. So if you can't give that thing that's giving you anxiety back to God, then don't be honest with him because you're just going to walk down a selfish rabbit hole and it's going to get darker and deeper and more selfish and more self-absorbed and that's not going to fix your problem. Whatever that thing is that you want God deeply to fix, be willing to know that it's his. And so I, I want to tell you about I didn't ask Lexi if I could share this story, but I'm going to because I think you'll be okay with it. Lexi's here tonight. Um, She must love me because she came to hear her mama speak. So so Lexi, a couple of years ago, stayed out in Ohio for the summer. She got a job at the university she attended and then also got an evening job at retail. And it turned out to be a nightmare of a summer. It was really lonely. It doesn't go the way that she thought it would. And I, she was, you know, here's one thing I have learned, that if I am going to barf on someone, it's going to be my husband or my mom. And what I really have learned to love is that when my daughters barf on me, it's the biggest compliment in the world. And so when they call and say, hey, I'm feeling lonely, I just, this stinks, and I'm working 
you know, this meant 15 hours a day and, and I don't get any sleep. And like, I know that that's a compliment, but at the same time, I have this over controlling personality that says, Oh, I could fix that. You know, and I started mapping out my summer. How many weeks could I be in Ohio to be in her apartment for the whole 30 minutes between the two jobs where I could like put food in front of her. And then when she came home at night, I would be there again and I would put food in front of her and we would talk in our jammies and have, you know, chamomile tea. And then we could have coffee in the morning. Like I was fixing the loneliness problem really fast. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm out in the garden and, and I, I had cried a lot because, you know, the kids, they don't know this, but they make us cry all the time. And it gets drunk, cry, drunk prayer crying real fast when it's your kids. Right. And so I'm crying because she's lonely and I'm out there weeding the garden and crying. And yet I'm hatching this plan and thinking I'm feeling so hopeful. Right. And the Lord said to me, it's very, it was very clear. I want to say it exactly how I said it. He said to me, pray for her to embrace her loneliness so she finds friendship with me. And I'm telling you right now, that is not what this mama bear wanted to hear. Because what he was saying is, yeah, you're not going to Ohio. And so I cried a lot and I prayed a lot. And do you know what happened when I gave my daughter back to God? Because the anxiety I was feeling was because I wanted my daughter not to be lonely, right? So I ugly cried and I gave him to her. I said, she's ultimately yours, God. Please be her friend in a way you've never been before. I prayed it every day. At the end of that summer, she posted this really cool, I don't know if it was on Instagram or Twitter, but this post about how lonely her summer had been and how hard it had been and how many, work she had, how many hours she had worked. But that through that summer, she had read the words of Hannah Whittlesmith. And Hannah Whittlesmith had written something about if God sends you to guard a lonely place, who are you to question his will? It's not our job to decide what we do and when we do it. It's his and we are his. And so she had found in that lonely place, a friendship with God, just as he had told me she would, just as he had promised he would. So I don't know what's causing you anxiety, but if you don't give it to God, you're going to mess it up. You're going to get in the way and it's not going to turn out the way that you think. You, you aren't as great as controlling it as you think that you are. Trust him. Trust him with your womb. Trust, you know, as I talked with Melanie today, um, I had a, a third baby in my, growing in my belly that, I, that Bob and I lost, and it was heartbreaking. How many of you women have either struggled with getting pregnant or you have lost a baby that, that you were pregnant with? Yeah, so we know that hurt. It's a deep, horrible hurt. And I remember looking at the aftermath, looking at the picture of our family, and in my mind there was a third face and a third baby in that picture, but it was gone. But do you know what God was doing when he did that? He was preparing my heart, opening my heart for Autumn, who we wouldn't meet for 10 years. And when we found her, I knew exactly who was supposed to be in that spot. And there are parts of my relationship with Autumn that were very critically developed during that time of pain. And I wouldn't have been ready for her had I not walked through that pain. You can trust him with this pain. The third thing I observe here in this story is that Hannah, where is she when she's praying this prayer, this ugly drunk prayer before God? Where is she? Where is she? Church. She's at the temple. 
She's at the temple. And um, I think it's really important for us to recognize that Hannah goes to a public place of prayer. Now, here's the thing. I don't know about you, but the time I least want to come to church is when I'm feeling anxious, depressed, and vexed. Anyone? That's when I'm like, yeah, I don't need it so much. What I need is to stay in my bed and just be all curled up and comfy here. But she gets... She drags herself to the place of worship, and she prays her prayer in a corporate place of worship. Um, I've come to learn in the last maybe five years that my prayer closet isn't so powerful as what happens here in community. You know, I'm an introvert, so the prayer closet's an easy, comfortable place for me. But um, I spoke at the 30th anniversary of Moms in Prayer International, and Mama Fern Nichols got up, and she prayed, or she taught on prayer. And she instructed us that the majority of teaching in scripture on prayer is not about solo prayer. It's about corporate prayer. Most of what God instructs us to do on prayer is together. For example, when two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst, right? And we're instructed, Jesus told us how to pray, our father who art in heaven, not my father. And you look through the scriptures. I began to look every time I saw it's a passage on prayer. I was like, "Oh my goodness, it is a it is a, is not a solo sport. It's like an it's like a group thing. We're supposed to pray together. But when I least want you is when I most need you. When and and he, but here's the complicated thing. Remember how excited I was like a super blonde last week because I was all hyped up about the fest. Um, I have found that my private time with God gives me desire to be with you." right? And funny enough, my time with you gives me desire to be alone with God. And I think that's because they go together. They're one and the same. And so what I want to say to you, if you're feeling anxious and depressed, get your butt to church. <laughs> like if you're feeling anxious and depressed, get into a DC group because you're brain, your thoughts, your emotions, it's like an IV drip for your anxiety and depression. It will, like just you go to the hospital, if you're dehydrated, you need an IV drip. I'm telling you that community is your IV drip for anxiety and depression. Has anybody experienced that? And you know it to be true, right? And he, he's like doctor, psychologist man. So, and he raised his hand. So, Part of me feels sorry for you if coming to church or being in community is hard for you when you're depressed or feeling anxiety. But it would be really stupid of me not to tell you that I received my healing by getting my butt out of bed and getting in community. You have to do it. She drug herself to a place of community. And then finally, here's the stuff we don't want to hear. She waited The fourth observation is Hannah waited on God. The Bible says in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. It didn't happen right away. Why? Why didn't happen right away? Well, here's what I've come to believe is that the things that I want and the things that I need until I see them the way that God sees them, he's not going to give them to me. And if he did, or if he does, I squander them, and I don't use them to their fullest. And in Hannah's case, we know this. So for 100 years, nobody in Israel had had the, heard the voice of God. 
the land was desolate of spiritual fervor, of spiritual vigor. They, they were not following after God. They did, even the priests, even Eli and his, and his sons were corrupt. This nation needed spiritual infusion. And so all Hannah could see in her personal problem was an empty womb. That's all she saw. God, look how empty this is. These arms, empty arms. Look how empty these arms are. You see, what God saw was not an empty womb, but a nation empty of love for him. What Hannah wanted was a son. What God needed was a prophet. And I think that in that time that Hannah was waiting, painfully waiting, and in that time while you are waiting, painfully waiting, God's going to change your heart to align with his. And what if, well, let me read this to you that this one Bible scholar wrote about Hannah's prayer. Her sorrow about her childness thus became wholly reoriented in the waiting period. It no longer revolved around the pleasure a child might give to her husband and to herself, but around her desire for God's glory and his story. Has anyone else experienced God like that, where you wanted something so desperately and you finally came to a place of seeing what he was really doing in your heart and your life? And it was so much better. It had to be that way. One of the things in my life that I wish were different I wish that there hadn't been so much sexual pain. I really wish there hadn't been. And my husband would tell you the same thing for his life. And why he put two people with a lot of sexual pain together, I will never know until I sit down in heaven and ask him, because that got really complicated at times. But I had a really neat moment of hope. You guys can come. This week, um... Because I think in that time of waiting, Hannah was being made into the mother that knew how to talk to God, knew how to plead with God, knew how to trust God, knew how to relinquish to God, knew how to submit to God. And there was no other mother that could raise up the first prophet to hear the voice of God in a hundred years. And as I was thinking this week um, about that and thinking about what would I, you know, what about me as a mom wasn't so great? And quite honestly, I think that the sexual pain and turmoil and battles that Bob and I have faced, I wish our kids didn't have to be impacted by that. But they were. They have been. But, you know, this week Lexi gave a testimony um, last night, and um, it was a really neat testimony about her journey to finding the Lord. And she said, you know, if I had been raised in a family that were big Bible thumpers and they did everything perfectly, I would totally have rejected God. Based on my personality, I would have rejected God. And then she said, equally, if I had been raised by liberals, I would have happily rejected God. But she said to me, and oh, it was such a sweet thing to my heart, I needed parents who were broken enough to not be afraid of the questions and the doubts of the faith to make me believe. You see, God's creating just what he needs to create to solve a problem that he has and he sees. What if your problem is bigger than you? What if he's up to something much greater? This message was presented at Center Church, a congregation of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. If you enjoyed it and want to dig deeper, 
Dana has written an entire book based on Hannah's response to her anxiety and vexation. It's called The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces, Praying Your Way to Realistic Biblical Answers. Learn more at danagresh.com. This podcast was produced by Pure Freedom Ministries.